0: you're planning to stay with us today after the service and uh, eat with us. We have, I believe we've got uh, barbecued chicken and uh, coleslaw and and potato salad and what else? Oh, dismiss the kids. I mean, uh, the kids are dismissed. (laughs) You can, all the children can now go to their Bible classes. Well, if you have your Bible with you today, find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to take a look at what happens in the afterlife. We're made by heaven for heaven. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us... Some very intriguing words. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. We know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about our body. He calls it a tent. It's our earthly home. He says if that's destroyed, in other words, when we die... We have a building from God, a house, not made with hands eternal in the heavens. When you die, you swap a tent for a house. That's a good deal, by the way. Verse 2, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul is weary here when he writes Second Corinthians 5 of the frustrations and limitations of his earthly body. He longs to be clothed with that permanent dwelling, the body that is made by God. He compares it to a building not made with human hands. And it will replace the debilitating tent in which he dwells, the tattered tent of the Apostle Paul's life. There's actually three stages. Let me mention them to you, and then I'm going to come back and deal with each one. There's the earthly home, the tent that is our earthly home, verse 1. Now that's the body we live in. It is compared here to a tent which is normally a temporary structure and that's the way he compares it and then there is a future body that he says is a building from God a house not made with hands that is it is perfect it's a building from God the next our our future body will be perfect and it is permanent notice it's eternal in or from the heavens so there's this present body in the future at the second coming is the resurrected body or compared to a house that's perfect and permanent but there's an intermediate state look at uh, at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 3. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. What does he mean by naked? Well, it means your spirit without a body. Now, uh, get this. Now you have a body. It's a fallen corrupt, aging, even dying body, a tent. There will come a time when you will have a new body at the second coming and the resurrection. But what happens in between? When you die, you're without a body. So he calls that state being naked that is your spirit without a body that's in verse 3 he calls it in verse 4 while we're in this tent he says we grow on being burdened not that we want to be unclothed but further clothed he calls it being unclothed your spirit without the clothing or the building of the new body so you have three stages Stage 1, which you now are in, the fallen body. Stage 2, in which there is no body. There is your spirit only. You don't have a body. And then stage 3, at the second coming and the resurrection, when Jesus comes back and raises the dead and gives you the new body. Uh, Let me just comment on each one of these. First, our spirit is in a present fallen body which he compares to a tent, a tattered tent. Um, How did we get this way? I know that some of you are young and vigorous and energetic. Enjoy it. (laughs) God bless you. But Adam sinned. Romans 5.12 says, Through Adam's sin came more sin and death. And since Adam's sin, he died and all those following him died. In other words, we are now mortals. That is the spirit, but our spirit lives in this fallen body. The second, I want to deal with the spirit clothed with a new body. Praise God, there is coming a day for every Christian when God will make for them a new body. Uh, It is made from heaven and for heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Notice, what will this future body look like? Well, it's going to be like His, uh, not his body in weakness on the earth, but his glorious body. That means his resurrected body. Our future bodies will be similar to the body of Jesus after his resurrection. And what was his body like after his resurrection? Well, let me give you some quick verses to describe his post-resurrection body. John 21, 12. It was recognizable a recognizable body. Jesus said to them, this is after his resurrection. He appears on the shoreline and the disciples were fishing. He says, come and have breakfast. And uh, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. They could see. That's the Lord. They recognized Jesus by his mannerisms, facial features, and his attitude, his servant heart. He was fixing them breakfast. So the future body will be a visible, recognizable body that you can look at and say that's Joe or Tom or whoever. Another thing about his future about his resurrection body and our future body is that you could touch it. We're not going to be spirits or ghosts But Luke 24, 39, Jesus appeared to them and He said, See My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. This is Me. Touch Me, He said, and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. A spirit doesn't have this. You can touch Me. One of the things that you want to do when you love someone a child or a spouse or a friend you want to do what hug them I want to tell you in your resurrection body you will be able to hug them I like that because it's tangible it has flesh and bone Another thing about Jesus' resurrection body is Luke 24, 42. He came and after His resurrection, He talked to His disciples. They doubted His resurrection and He said, Bring me a piece of fish. So they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and He ate it before them. Your new body will be capable of eating without weight gain praise god <laughs> amen they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it before them part of his the convincing of his disciples was that he ate Showing them this is an actual resurrected body that you can recognize it and touch it. It's the same DNA. It's the same personality. It's the same person. This is my identity brought back, presented to you. So you have, there is our present fallen body, Paul compares to being in a tent. Then there is our spirit without a body or with a new body in the future, but then there's our spirit uh, that is what he calls naked or unclothed. It is that intermediate state. From the moment you die until the moment Jesus returns and resurrects your body, that's called, Paul calls that being unclothed with a body. You don't, you are what he would say, you are naked. That is, your spirit is without a body. It is in the presence of God. The, your body is in the grave. It is what N.T. Wright calls, he says, there is life. Then there is the life after death, and then there is the life after life after death. Well, this is life after death for the Christian. Now, what happens during that time? What will take place? Well, we know we'll be with the Lord. He says that in this passage. But here is something that I have observed about Christians over the years. Christians are in varying degrees of holiness. And Hebrews twelve fourteen says to strive for peace with everyone and strive for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now I'm not talking here about Righteousness as the gift. I'm not talking about justification. I'm talking about holiness. The condition of the soul. Virtue. And Revelation 21-27 says, Concerning heaven, that nothing unclean will enter it, or anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. So, I've noticed this about Christians. If without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord, and nothing unclean can enter heaven, well, what happens to all these Christians who die in a condition in which they lack holiness? A consummate, perfected state of holiness. And I've pondered this because I don't really know a lot of truly holy people. Perhaps my wife. I mean, I'm telling you. But other than that, and I give you an example. We had, uh, this was years ago, we had a sweet lady who started attending our church at Bristol Road. And she was a former drug addict and was wonderfully converted when she was about 30 years old. And sometimes she would tell me her story and she would cry and she would praise God. She would show me her arms where she cut herself. I counted one time 70 cuts on one arm, scars, where she would self-inflict. And, but she was free, free from drugs, free from alcohol, free from sin. She was wonderfully transformed, taught a class, beautiful young Christian woman. So we're so happy to have her. She met a man online who was a good man, and she moved to Illinois and married him. Continued her Christian faith, attended church, and praised God. Occasionally would visit And then one day I heard that she had uh, broken her leg, going down some stairs, broken her leg or knee or something and it had required, it was a very serious uh, injury and it required uh, severe surgery. Well, in the surgery, or after the surgery, the pain was excruciating, so the doctor, prescribed some pain pills and she reverted back to her drug days and she overdosed and she died. We were amazed. We were shocked at this. Now what happens to someone who you know was wonderfully converted but failed? and went out to meet God in a fallen condition, an unholy condition. And here's what I think that we can say about situations like this. When anyone sees the Lord, they are changed, transformed. Now again, I'm not talking about righteousness, which is by faith and is a gift. I'm talking about transformation of of the inner soul. Moses, when he went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, 2 Corinthians 3.13 says he came back down and his face just radiated with the glory of God. Changed. Isaiah chapter 6, after pronouncing woes on the prosperity seekers, woes on the false prophets, chapter 1 through 5, woe on Jerusalem. But when he gets to chapter 6 and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, you know what he says? Woe upon me, I am undone. He sees himself as God saw him. And what about the Apostle Paul in Acts 9? He's a murderer. He had just gotten done organizing the stoning of Stephen. And now he's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, men and women. And he sees Jesus. Jesus unveils himself in measure to him. And what happens to the apostle? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. What do you want me to do? I want you to rise and be baptized and then then do whatever I tell you because I've chosen you as a vessel for my work totally transformed by one vision of Jesus. If we have, if we are changed by visions of Jesus, if we are transformed by looking upon him in worship here, how much more there? I think When we pass, we lay off this corrupt body and enter into the fullness of His majesty and glory and presence. I think it is a transforming experience. Listen to 1 John 3.2. 1 John 3.2. This seems to affirm to you what I am saying today. He says, Beloved, we are God's children. We are now the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But look at this. But we know that when He shall appear, we will be like Him. Why? For we will see Him as He is. All visions of Jesus on earth are limited In measure, but in that afterlife when we lay off this corrupt body, this aging, dying tent, and enter into the presence of Jesus, we will see him as he is. And we will be like him. In a way in which we cannot and will not, not able to be like him here. Holiness begun... And holiness completed. And then at the second coming, he makes the body fit that transformed spirit so that there, my friend, is the completed work. Oh, what a day that'll be! I will see you as God has made you in time and eternity. And then he's fitted a new body, which is your body, but the DNA itself is divine. And he will then put the spirit back with the body on the resurrection day. And that will be glorious. This is a post-mortem experience of Jesus that purges, cleanses, and transforms our inner corruption into his likeness. Now this is not, let me add this, this is not purgatory, as the Roman Catholics teach. Purgatory is when you're punished for your sins after you die. You have to pay for, uh, sometimes it's 10 years, sometimes 100, sometimes it's a 1,000. I'm afraid for some of you, we're looking at 10,000 years But purgatory is is for forgiveness. Purgatory is punishment. I'm talking about that afterlife experience with his fullness and presence and vision of Jesus that transforms, not punishes. And by the way, purgatory in the Roman Catholic teaching can, can be diminished... How many years you spend there can be diminished if someone does a good work in your name on your behalf, including giving or reading the Bible or uh, making a pilgrimage to Rome. Uh, support you can even go and hear the Pope speak. These are these are uh, indulgences which can uh, buy years of time off your relative's time in purgatory. There's nothing I can do to help you there. I got my own problems. What this is different is to me, somebody said purgatory is like if you're dirty, I can take a bath and that'll help you. No. We all enter as Christians a time in which our spirit is naked and we are bathed in His presence. He's not only preparing a body for that new spirit, but he's preparing a spirit, your spirit, for a new body. So I'm saying that this is a vision of Jesus. Now this is, I'm talking to Christians, this is not a second chance for lost people. This is a vision of Jesus to Christians who to some extent have... Spiritually decayed or lost their first love. Or it may be that you're doing fine in your heart and mind. Your conscience is clear. But here's the thing. Our sin is so deep. Our our selfishness, uh, Luther called it incurvatus in C. Curved inward. Our self-centeredness is so normal, we can't see it. Our pride, the things that are inside of us. I was reading a book by Jack Van Impey. I don't always agree with him on the end times, but I I love this man. I have great respect for Dr. Jack Van Impey. And he talked about how he used to do crusades. And he said, I had to come out of what was called the fundamentalist movement because they were so judgmental. The preachers were so harsh. And he said, there was one pastor that worked with him in in an area-wide evangelistic meeting. And he said, this pastor had a deformed ear. And what he did was, he let his hair grow out so it covered his ears, so to cover up the deformed ear. And pastors in the fundamentalist Baptist group were harsh and unyielding and critical of the pastor because they said he has long hair. Jack Van Impey said, it just grieved my spirit. Now are these pastors not Christians? Are they have they abandoned the faith? No, they're just they can't see the pride. Each of us is like this. We've got these hidden areas. And we need transformation. Our hearts cry out for holiness, and as Paul, we see it's a tattered tent. We can't seem to obtain it, but yet we know without holiness no one will see the Lord. On the other side of death, there is a powerful, infinitely glorious, transforming vision of Jesus. And this post-mortem vision will deepen our contrition. It will sharpen our sorrow for sin. It will create a new love for God and man. And it will show us more of Christ and His cross. It will show, It will make us amazed at our lives on earth as we look back are giving and are praying and are serving and how it impacted the world we live in. <laughs> All good? Okay, I thought I was going there for a minute. All right, that might be a good time to start winding down here. Here's some quick questions about the final heaven and earth. People usually ask, like, what will we do? Well, I'm telling you now, uh, Isaiah 65, 17, 2 Peter 3, 13, Revelation 21, 1, these verses and others talk about that there's a new heavens and a new earth. So we're going to be as not just heavenly, but earthly there'll be mountains and trees and valleys and rivers there'll be birds in fact romans 8:22 paul says we know the whole creation groans together in pains of childbirth waiting for the adoption and redemption of our bodies all of creation's involved If we have it here, we enjoy it here, we'll have it there more so. There'll be horses and cows and dogs and, oh man, cats. Yeah, there'll be cats. (laughs) They will be quarantined, but they'll be there. Remember, Noah, in the ark, God saved humanity and the animals. Jonah 4.11, God tells Jonah, when Jonah complained that he didn't judge Nineveh, he said, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also there are much cattle? I think that's the last verse in the book of Jonah. There's much cattle there. I should spare them. <laughs> God loves cows. Who would have thought that? Then here's a question I'm often asked What about marriage and sex? Hello. Are you all listening? Matthew 22:30, here's the verse. In the resurrection, they're not married nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, I had a man come up to me. I quoted that verse one time in a sermon. And he came up and he said, Pastor, you broke my heart today because his wife had died. And he was so devoted to his wife. They'd been married for so many years, and she was just everything. And when I said, you won't be married in heaven, he said, you broke my heart today. I tried to explain to him that, listen, when you get to the new heavens and the new earth, you don't lose anything. You gain everything. Never view heaven as losing anything. Remember that marriage and sex is for the deepest intimacy known to man. But it's that known to man. There There is depths of knowledge and intimacy that you don't know yet. And that makes the marriage bond and the sexual aspects unnecessary to experience it. These transports of ecstasy are just a little sliver of what it will be like in heaven with the one you love. You will live in such divine joy that sexual pleasure would seem as nothing to you. You will have such sweet intimacy and transparency with your former spouse that the marriage covenant is overwhelmed and obsolete. You will know such unconditional love and eternal security that vows are useless. There is, there was a movie back in 1996 uh, named Michael, after Michael the Archangel. And I, I watched it on TV one time. It's been played a couple of times. And Michael, is the archangel, is presented as a hard-drinking, chain-smoking, pleasure-seeking angel who wants to go one more round on earth. One of these things he wants to do is see the Sears Tower. <laughs> well, who doesn't want to go to Chicago? So he wants to go to Chicago and see the Sears Tower. But it presents this angel as like, okay, I've only got a few more weeks on earth. I want to get all the joy out of it. I can because then I got to go to heaven where it's boring. That's a travesty. And that is an absolute false view Of heaven. You know what I hear among young people all the time? I mean, they have youth and energy and gifts and technology and good parents and homes and they travel and they have all these blessings and they say, but I'm bored. Everything in earth ends up boring. You know what happens in heaven? You don't lose anything. You get it all. And Jesus too. This is what heaven is about. Therefore, that intimacy will be overwhelmed in the environment of God's own love and the satisfaction that comes to your soul. I love that verse, Philippians 1.6. I'll close with this, where he says that God, who began a good work in you, will perform it or perfect it or finish it, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a day that'll be. How wonderful it is to be a Christian. It only gets better from here. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Ushers, you come and let's worship with our tithes and our offerings today. Let's give to the God who gives and will give so much to us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessings to us. Thank you for the promises of the future. We are happy today to invest in your kingdom and in your work, and we praise your name. Amen.